do it for one of the lower songs. The last song you need it. Yeah, I don't know where I'm going. I'll get it. I'll get it. Okay. Ready? do uh, most Sundays we begin singing with our kids. seat. Good morning. Glad to see everybody. Glad we could be here to worship together. Excited to worship together as a faith family. If I don't know you or haven't met you, my name is Jeremy Pace. I'm one of the pastors of Christ City. Uh, and the reason we get together in this space on Sunday mornings uh, is to set our minds, attentions, and hearts, affections upon Jesus so that we might leave this space and be the church. So you might have thought you were coming to church today, um, and we tell ourselves this as a reminder because we kind of know we've grown up in a context where we think, to some extent, coming into a place like this is what church is. But our scriptures tell us, and Jesus shows us, that, that to be the church, to be the gathered people of God, looks like ones who are following him out of this place like this into our normal everyday roles and relationships as roommates, as husbands, as parents, as employees and employers. And we really long to do that well. Uh, we want to do that together. Um, and so what we strive to be is a faith family who help one another follow Jesus in the everyday things of life, through the ups and downs of life, to be faithful to all God's called us to and formed us for, for his glory and for the good of our neighbors. And so we want to invite you, if you're here to worship with us, um, to continue that worship with us in gospel community, um, which is just people outside of this time and place walking out that desire, right? Trying to live out of the thing that we want, which is to be people who follow Jesus in the everyday. And so if you're, you're new with us or not connected, there's these little cards on the back table back here, this little deal. You can fill one of those out, put it in the, in the box, and I'll reach out to you this week and invite you into the gospel community. Or you can just come over for lunch today. We're all going, some of us are going over to Lynn and Karen's house. And so you can come and hang out with us at lunch if you want. I'm sure others are going to grab food. We would love for you to get to know our faith family in a way that um, helps you be one who follows Jesus in the same way. 
And so as a faith family, um, there's a few things that we do to kind of help stay connected with one another. Uh, some of it's really simple things, like we have an app that, that reminds us on Mondays that somebody's praying for us and invites us into the Psalms to pray with us and with them. Um, there's an email that goes out on Wednesday with some information of what's happening, but also just an encouragement of how we're trying to stay steadfast and grounded in Jesus. There's a prayer that goes out on Fridays that kind of grounds us into something that we're praying together as a faith family and keeps us connected, even as we travel, as we do business, as we live life in our own, uh, own responsibilities, uh, helps us stay connected. And there's also things like adoration on Monday night, where it's a time of worship, uh, where we gather together in Victory Meadows and are asking God to raise up a house of prayer to be a prayerful place for the nations uh, in a place that many of us may not know, um, but is like one of the most diverse populated places in our city. Um, and it's coming not just from a desire to kind of go in and infect our own thing, but to see and respond to what God's been doing there. Kyler leads that. He's been living in Victory Meadows for eight years. And this is birthed out of life in and with the men and women of Victory Meadows. And so we'd invite you into adoration on Monday nights. And then on the second Wednesday of every month, we fast. We fast together as a faith family. We lament together as a faith family. We grieve. We enter into grievous sacred moments for the sake of, of our own lives and the lives of others and come together on Wednesday evenings to worship, second Wednesday of every month, to worship, to pray, and to express those grievances, those hopes that we have even in our grieving uh, to Jesus. And so we invite you to be a part of those things. You can access all that information on the church app or on our website. Um, but that's just a little ways we try to stay connected as we go through life together. Um, and one of the things, again, like that you'll find in our faith family is that we really, we really do value just walking with each other through the ups and downs. We think that's what it really means to be the church, to follow Jesus' as spiritual companions. And so um, as we kind of enter into this time of focused worship and stuff, let's enter in on behalf of one of our faith family members, Jan. Um, uh, she actually went into the hospital this weekend uh, with um, some abdomen issues and is still in the hospital today and is, has been doing tests all weekend and will meet with the doctors tomorrow. And so if you would, will you just pray with me and ask the Lord uh, for peace to be to rest upon her for healing for what's going on in her body uh, and just that she would know even apart from us right now that she's not alone. Uh, will you pray with me for those things? Father, we come um, before you on behalf of our, um, of our sister, our, our friend, uh, your child, Jan. Um, Lord, we ask in the name of Jesus, Lord, that you would just heal, um, that you would remove the thing that's causing, uh, Lord, both the pain uh, physically and the pain and anxiousness Lord, that you would, um, as the one who knows every cell of our body, Father, in the name of your Son, would you, just, would you just make right what is broken and twisted? Lord, we just pray as she rests today, um, Lord, as she tests today, Father, Lord, that there would just be, um, Lord, your Spirit's nearness, like a blanket would cover her, the Comforter would be one who's not far from her, and that there would be no moment where she would doubt your love, your power, um, your intimacy, Lord, and you. Lord, that she would know, uh, Lord, the, the love of your, um, your saints, her brothers and sisters. Be with her, Father, Lord. We love her, and we love you, and we thank you that you love her more than us, and that you desire her good even more than we do. And so we express these things to you. We ask these things of you uh, with expectation. Because Jesus lives, we can pray these things, and we can worship here today. It's in his name. Amen.
Don't make rivals out of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers' success. For they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Make things flourish. Make something beautiful. Dwell in the land and feed on faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. He will validate your life as the light, and your thinking and behavior as clear as the noonday sun. I want to invite you to stand as we continue together in song this morning. i 
good singing, you guys. If you're uh, if you're if you're a little one, you're welcome to. Uh, that's the spirit speaking. In addition, uh, if you're a little one, if you're helping with kids, you're welcome to head on back. The rest of us, we're going to continue together in song this morning, and as we've been talking um, all month long, and as we've been in Second Peter, as we began Second Peter with this encouragement, this admonition that we might find all that we need in Jesus. We'll just continue that this morning in song together. Where I am 
do thank you this morning that all that we need, we have in Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray that to the extent that we feel that we're lacking, Lord, you would show us and you would fill our hearts with your presence and your goodness and your word and the spirit of your son. May he fill us and animate us in the week to come. Lord, we just thank you again that we get to gather in this way each Sunday. May we never take it for granted. We pray for our children, Lord, that they would be edified and drawn to you. May Jesus' name be spoken and his, his word and his spirit be present. And Lord, we do just echo and repeat again for our friend Jan. Lord, may you heal. Um, may you help recover and restore um, her physical body as well as her um, hurting spirit. Lord, we love you and we thank you for Jesus. It's in his name. Amen. I'm going to invite Tina and Dana to the front. They're going to lead us in a reading from Scripture. This is from 2 Peter 1, 5 through 11, and I'll be reading verses 5 through 8. Make every effort to supplement, that is, bring to full experience your faith with excellence, knowledge, meekness, steadfastness, godliness, acting justicely, familial affection, and with love. For if you possess these qualities in an increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our master, Jesus Christ. For whoever does not have these qualities at hand, ready to make use of them, is so short-sighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins through immersion in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit life. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be all the more diligent to confirm the reliability of your calling and election, the certainty of the invitation extended in delight, not obligation by Jesus. For if you practice these qualities, making do with what is at your disposal, you will never stumble into misery. With things thus, thus settled, there will be supplemented, that is to say, richly provided for you, the full experience of the eternal, unique in quality and breadth of time, kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you, thank you. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. Um, we've been in this place in 2 Peter for almost a month now because, as was just read for us by uh, Tina and Dana, it's pretty significant, right, to, um, to, for Peter to make this exclamation that... Um, that we have everything we need in Jesus, and if only we would add to our faith, supplement our faith, bring to the fullness of our faith these certain qualities, that in these qualities we would never be ineffective and unfruitful in this relationship with Jesus, this knowledge of Jesus, this reality of Jesus' life, the thing that we said at the beginning that we're all after, right? That, that the reason why we come into this place and why we share life outside of this place. And yet at the same time, there's a reality of the, within that promise that there's an expectation that something might be a little off. But what we've seen in Peter so far is this profound thing that is worth this time that we put into meditating on it. 
And so today we're going to do one kind of final meditation through this opening lines of 1 Peter. Um, these things that, as we talked about earlier in the month, that Peter says he says not as something new to his faith family, um, but because they've been established in these things, he will remind them of these things over and over again. For his life is about to end, his time on earth is about to be done, and so he wants them to rest in, build upon these foundational realities with gold and fine jewels, with, with joy and with abundance, to experience all that he's gotten to experience in his life and with Jesus, and he wants it for them as well. And so what we've seen in Peter's profound little letter, um, this, he's, he said this spectacular declaration that we've been given all that we need for life, for, for real life, for detailed and daily life, and all that we need for godliness, that is life at its highest and possible expectation. All that we have in Jesus, that's what he said in verse 3. He says, his divine power has granted to us all things, in your translation it probably says pertaining, but the word in the Greek means advantageous for the attaining of an end goal. He has given you all things advantageous for attaining the end goal of life and godliness. Jesus has. God has. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Everything we need for reaching the end goal of life, to life whole and holy forever, is gifted to us through the person, promises, and power of Jesus. Let me say that again. Everything we need for reaching the end goal of life, the thing that we're after in life, the thing that we get up each morning and strive after in life, we're gifted through the person, promises, and power of Jesus to whom we are apprenticed through whom we now have a kindred relationship with God. For the rest of verse, um, uh, uh, for the, first, the next verse in verse 4 says this, that we've been called to Jesus' excellency and glory by which Jesus has granted us God's precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. We talked a lot about that in previous weeks of this reality, this, this highest calling of life being a life that is in step with who we are in relationship with God and how we live in the world in relationship to one another in a just way, in a right way, in the way that leads to flourishing that God intended. That's what the partaking in divine nature means. Like that we're living in step with actually our related created order, right? Our related created purpose. We know ourselves and we know others in a way that leads to wholeness and to fullness. And as partakers of this divine nature, we live in a unique world, or better to say, we live in the world uniquely. That we are set apart, not out of some superiority, but as blessed ones meant to be a blessing. As salt and light, as Jesus would tell us, as Jesus told Peter. That we're blessed and say, therefore, we get to live as ones who get to be a blessing. Destined to do good, to cultivate flourishing, to craft beauty, and to make peace, as the psalmist declared, as Laura read for us earlier. Able to be so because, as Peter concludes in verse 4, through these promises of Jesus, you become partakers of the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of desire. And again, we've talked about this, but I'll say it for those who are new. In your translation, it probably says sinful desire or evil desire, but the word, the original Greek language, that word's not there. It's just assumed, right? Because we know as, as Jesus followers, we know our own hearts and the twisted nature of our own hearts, right? To some extent. We know that we tend to go after things in a way that, that is off the mark, that does lead to um, brokenness in our relationships with God and with others. And so our translators have supplemented this term, but that's in doing so, they kind of help, they kind of make us miss the point. 
that what we've escaped from is we've escaped from this, the corruption that comes in the world because of desire. Because we're living, as Peter says, in a manner in which we are continuously and progressively escaping the desire which corrupts our identity, our purpose. We're, we're continuously and progressively escaping the desire for what is another's. Desires for what another has that we want. That's what we saw last week. We spent a lot of time on that last week. And so if you missed that, I encourage you to go back and, and listen. But what Jesus is saying is that the person, or Peter is saying is that the person of Jesus, his very great and precious promises, his divine power, has made it so that we no longer need to be covetous. We no longer need to desire to possess what others have in pursuit of our own fulfillment. We need no, no longer need to look to others to provide for us that fulfillment. Whether it's something that they have physically, something that they have um, in status, something that they have in... Um, abundance or what we long for, we, know, we know, no longer need to find our identity, our purpose by looking at others and wanting what they have. We find it by looking at Jesus and receiving what he gives. No longer do we make rivals out of one another or even God. That's been the story from the beginning, right? We saw that last week, that, that Adam and Eve wanted what God had, knowledge of good and evil. So God was their rival. He was kept something from them that they wanted, and so they chose to rebel, right? They chose to do the thing that God said wasn't good, right? And that's caused all this problem, Cain and Abel, and so forth and so on, right? Division within relationships, the most intimate of marriage, and then into family, and then into society. That's the first four chapters of Genesis. It fuels this rivalistic nature that we want what someone else has, and so we take it. Or we want what they have, and we assume that in wanting what they have, that we have to get around them, over them, or through them to get it. Or in wanting what someone else has, we assume that what we want defines who we are. That what we're after will help us know who we are. That if we get this thing, then we'll, we'll really be who we're meant to be and do what we're really meant to do. But no longer, says Peter, do we have to be envious of one another, comparing and contrasting ourselves by what we have or lack? We are free through Jesus in relationship with God and gifted in equal standing and preciousness, as Peter said in his opening lines. This is what he says in verse 1. To those who have obtained, that is, who have received by design desire, a faith of equal standing, equal preciousness as ours, through the person and promises and power of Jesus, receiving everything we need for life, whole and holy. That's the proclamation that, that, that Peter makes. That's the foundation that Peter says is our life of faith. This is the essential foundation of our faith. And so therefore, we can do good, make something flourish, make something beautiful, as the psalmist says, because we have been given everything we need, because we know who we truly are as ones whose identity is not self-determined, self-assumed, self-assured, self-maintained, but derived from the one to whom we are enslaved, as Peter introduced himself, servants. Known only because we know ourselves through Jesus. And not only are we ones who know who we are truly, we also know for what our life is purposed, that we've been honored and empowered as sent ones, as ones called to the Son of Man's own glory and excellence. So what else is their desire if we have everything? That's what Peter's saying. Like that's why we can escape the corrupting in the world because of desire, because we've been given everything. 
Our identity and our purpose found, known, fully, truly, not from what's what, with, 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 what is within us, but what we have received. What has been given to us. And not just given to us as, here's an item or a trinket to take and use, but given to us as a relationship. A relationship in which we are known fully, fully known, that we've been formed and crafted and brought into and made for and are being raised up to be exactly and perfectly and fully and wholly all that we have potential to be. I mean, how amazing is that? That that's the foundation of our lives. That's the life you're born into, that you were born into physically and then you're reborn into in faith. And then while it feels sometimes, as children, um, that it feels constraining, any constraint is all meant to be to help us to be the very things that we're meant to be. Um, I know she's in here, so I'll, I'll say this gently. Like, Lily and I got in this conversation this morning, my daughter and I. <laughs> that the constraint she feels is being parented right now. <laughs> and we've all felt those, right? We feel the constraints of being parented. That our constraint of their parenting isn't so that she cannot experience the freedom and identity and the fullness of who she is, but so that she might actually experience those things. And sometimes we don't always fully understand it, and we get that, and the frustration is normal. But Peter's saying, but this is the foundation. This is the reality. This is how you relate to God. This is what God's relation is to you. So let yourself be parented by him. Let yourself receive what he is giving you. And as we read today, put it into full work. Listen, we think that, um, um, that in knowing this, that would be it, right? That if we just know that, we would be good. And to some extent, that's true. Like, that's why we say the same thing over and over again. I mean, if you've been a part of our faith family for any amount of time, none of what I just said is new. There's no new ideas here. We've said this for eight years now, and probably if you're a believer, for, you've heard it 100,000 times over and over again. So what Peter says, I'm not saying, saying something new to you in verse 12. I'm saying things that are already true, but I'm going to keep reminding you because we tend to forget, right? We tend to forget. I tend to forget. We all tend to forget these things. But he says this, kind of like G.I. Joe, um, that knowing is only half the battle, right? Um, I'm glad somebody got that. So sweet. Great. Um, Knowing's only half the battle. More accurately, it's knowing that gets us into the wrestling match. Gets us into the wrestle with God and with ourselves, right? Gets us into learning who we are and who God says we are. Gets us into the persevering quest for the experience of a full and forever life that Peter has been in purposely using language from the Greek stories to help instill in the minds of his listeners this truth of their life as a quest, as this, this destined reality. A way of life where we commit to supplementing, that is, to bringing into vivid depth that precious and honorable thing which we have obtained by the righteousness of God and our Savior, our peacemaker, Jesus. That all-consuming identity is one's owned by Jesus and honored by Jesus, known fully by Jesus and empowered by Jesus for the life we live now. That we know that, but we have to actually be ones who supplement who the, the term, again, describes in the Greek this idea of doing everything necessary to make sure that the chorus, all the, the songs and the staging and the music of this grand play in the Greek theater is, is happening so that the whole thing comes to full life. So it's not just actors on a stage going about the motions and doing the thing, but everything, all-encompassing life is experienced, vividness and depth, that you're able to enter into the story in its fullness. And while it's true that we have everything, there is, as Peter bluntly points out, a way of being blinded to the truth. 
and therefore assuming because of experience that what we've been given is unfruitful or ineffective. Because of our experience that the parenting isn't the way we want it to be and won't do the thing it wants we want it to do. That the daily and detailed and potential of life that we've been given isn't really everything that we're after. That we need more or something else or that even that the giver is not trustworthy. Have you ever felt that way? In your life of faith, in following Jesus, have you ever felt that what you've been given isn't enough? That you need more? That, that what you've been given isn't effective, that it needs to be different? Or have you ever found yourself at times wondering, can I trust the one who gave it to me? Did he know what he was doing? Does he know who I am and who he gave it to? Have you ever experienced the misery of faith unfulfilled? I mean, if we're honest, we've all, we all have, right? I mean, it takes a little bit of honesty, but I think it's okay to be honest and to say there's times in our lives we feel that faith is not just weighty, but faith is actually kind of this miserable trog. Like that we want something more and our faith lacks what it is that it promises. That we want something different and our faith lacks what it, what it says it can do. And we feel this kind of weird tension because we feel guilty for thinking that. We feel ashamed for the misery of knowing what is true and not getting to experience what we think the truth should look like. What a sad place to be in, don't you think? I mean, it has been for me, where I've felt the misery of faith. It's a sad place, right, to be in this weird, weird thing that, listen, if you're outside the faith, you may not understand this, so, so forgive me, because I don't know everybody super intimately in this room, but most of you that I do know, I know your faith, but I also know there's times in our faith where it feels like what we know is true and what we're experiencing don't line up. And it's a hard place to be. It's a difficult place to be. To be ones who feel like we have in our possession all that we need to fulfill the desire, the quest, to complete the, possi the possibility of life, and to achieve the thing that we have, and yet it's somehow we can't put it into use. Somehow it's not working for us. The, the unbreakable shield is cracking. The invisible cloak doesn't, doesn't quite cover everything. The Perseus' sword doesn't open up for us, whatever it is. We just doesn't feel like the thing given to us is working. I mean, how could any of us, how could any of us get there? How, could, how, can, how is it that we wind up at this space? And if we're honest, how is it that we wind up at this space in a somewhat cyclical pattern? That it's not a once-in-a-lifetime thing that we experience, a dark night of the soul, but for some of us, it's rather rhythmic. It's rather something that we know um, almost as true as we know the joys of our faith. Well, Peter says it's because we're short-sighted. Verse 9. Peter says that we're short-sighted. He says, for whoever does not have these qualities at hand, ready to make use of them, Whoever does not have these qualities of, of um, and again, we'll talk about this more. We talked about it last week, but we'll talk about it a little bit more in a minute. These qualities are not just, um, not just a to-do list, a moral to-do list, but these are, these are, um, these are things, things to be desired that drive us to action, that help us know what actions to take in, in the midst of our faith and life. And if we don't have these at hand, like forever doesn't have these qualities at hand, ready to use them, is so short-sighted that he is blind. 
having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins through immersion in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit life. Again, in your text, it may say just cleansed from, from his sins, but the Greek idea is cleansed in baptism, like the cleansing is through baptism. So it's trying to bring it out, right? Like that you've forgotten that you're immersed in this identity, this life that you have in God, with God, through Jesus. Blind, unable to see what's in your own hands, to see clearly the reality of our existence, our identity, our purpose. God's calling and his story-shaping care because we are short-sighted. The idea of short-sightedness is, is the idea of being one so focused on present desires, as one commentator notes, that we cannot see the past nor the future. We're so, so short-sighted, so oriented around our present desires, not just situations, not just circumstances, but around the thing that we want, that we cannot see the past, what God has done, or the future, what God is and will do. When we trip over our faith into the misery of unmet expectations, a lack of fruit, when, when we um, trip over our faith into the distresses and frustration of rivalry with the world, find ourselves no different than everything else around us, right? Wanting in everything else that everyone has, like the psalmist says, making rivals out of evildoers, envious of the wrongdoers. Like, like if we're honest, we've all wanted that, right? Like we've, like we've all looked at the world and things in the world and what's considered the good in the world and said, we want that. Like, and look, they go and get it, so why can't we go and get it? Right? If we're honest, when we trip over that, over our faith and land in that space, when we trip over our faith into the unhappiness and anguish of covetousness, covetousness of neighbor, I probably shouldn't have said that word, covetousness of neighbor, when we trip over our faith into the angst of wondering if God can be trusted or if we can trust who God says we are, it's not because we don't have enough faith. It's not because we don't have enough faith. Or that we have obtained, what we have obtained in our faith, what we've received from a, as a divine gift is not effective. But rather that we are so focused on the present desires, present needs, present anxieties, present ambitions, that we don't, we don't, as a learned, learned and developed skill, put into practice the deeds of the things that we know of our mind. If, that we don't, Act on what is true by making do with what we've been given. That's why we feel that way. That we don't put into practice, as Peter says, the very things in which we have been given to long for. That we know in striving after, get us the very things that are actually our hearts actually want. We think we don't have what we need to reach the goal of life and godliness. And so we anxiously scurry about our days stumbling in and out of the misery of faith, never following what the psalmist's wisdom is. Let's go back to what the psalm the Lord read for us was. It says, don't make rivals out of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoer success. Don't fall into this misery of faith. Stay out and don't, don't fall, don't, don't stumble into this life in which you are experiencing the very thing that God desires you not to experience anymore, that he's, he's freed you from, allowed you to, in partaking of the divine nature, allowed you to increasingly ex escape from. For listen, they will soon fade like grass and wither like the green herb. These things don't last, right? The, the things that you're after, the desires that they have, the models that you're looking at, they don't last. Trust in the Lord. And do good. 
Not just sit there and trust in the Lord, but trust in the Lord and do good. Do good. What is to do good? Make things flourish. Make something beautiful. Do the thing that God has called you to by Jesus' grace. The very calling and excellence, the glory and excellence that is yours in Jesus. Pursue it. Do it. Live it out. Dwell in the land and feed on faithfulness. Whose faithfulness are you feeding on? Live in this life and feed on faithfulness. Whose faithfulness is the psalmist feeding on? What does the psalmist feed on? The faithfulness of God. It's not your faithfulness. It's not dwell in the land and be faithful. It's dwell in the land and feed on faithfulness. The faithfulness of God. It's reciprocated and produces a faithfulness in yourself, right? Delight yourself in the Lord. And he will give you the desires of your heart. There it is. Delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you what? The desires, the things that you're after in your envy, that you're after in your wanting, that the, the things that, that you look at that you so long for that corrupt the way in which you go about living in the world and are twisted because you're looking at others and other ways of going about it other than Jesus. Listen, God will give that to you. Delight yourself in him. He longs to give you that. That's what our Father wants of us. I, what I want of Lily is not to be one who demands that her room is clean all the time, but one who, because she is like created in the image of God and made to be able to flourish and help flourish in the world, is actually able to thrive and where she no longer needs her dad in the same way. That's hard as a parent, right? We want our kids to always need us. But not in that way. Like, I long for her good. And the Father longs for her good. I want her to experience the freedom she longs for, but a freedom that won't destroy her, a freedom that will allow her to flourish. And that's what the Father desires for us. And so he says, commit your way to the Lord. We get that, right? Let's commit our way to the Lord. Supplement our faith. Commit our way to the Lord. Supplement our faith. Trust in him. Trust that the foundation is sure, that we're building on this sure foundation of all the promises and the power and the, and the person of Jesus. And then what does it say And commit your way? Who's going to act? He will act. This is paradox that we have in our faith. They're like, everything's been done for us, and yet we're asked to do something because everything's been done for us. Everything's been done for us in Jesus. And so we're asked to put this into life, knowing that he will actually finish what he started as the author and perfecter of our faith, as the writer of Hebrews said. Or, as, as Paul would say in his letter to the, the Philippians, work out your salvation daily with fear and trembling. We, we get that, right? Like, like that's kind of the angst of, of our faith to some extent, with fear and trembling, work out our salvation. But if you notice uh, what Paul says, if you remember at the end of that verse, is work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? For it is, a, it is God who is at work within you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure, for his desire in you. You work out your salvation. You enter into this life, bringing into vividness all the things that God has given you in pursuit of this life that God has called you to, knowing full well that it is a God who is at work who will make it flourish. That's what we're called to. That's the life that we get to live. That we commit our ways to the Lord and he will act. He will, as the psalmist says in verse 6, validate your life as the light. He will let your life be seen as the life, as the way of life. 
because it's life in him. That as worried as you are that this thing of faith won't produce what it's going to produce, he actually validates it. He says, he'll show that it does. And not just for you, but for all of your neighbors and friends and world. And he'll, he will validate, make clear your thinking and behavior as if it is the clarity. He will show that you have acted and behaved with clarity and wisdom in the world. As clear as the noonday sun. Like, like trust it, put it into play, and watch what God will do. I mean, it's, it's more complicated than that, right? It's, it's more nuanced than that. But that's kind of what he's saying. That's what the psalmist is saying. Like, if we just put into practice the very things that we believe, this is what comes out of it. It doesn't come out of it because of your effort. It comes out of it because this is what God intended for it to come out of it. Again, we talked about this a little bit last week, the story of the, um, the, the, the minas in Luke 19, where Jesus goes. If you want, you can turn over there real quick. We'll just look at it real fast, super fast. Luke 19. Just want to point out a couple things. Luke 19, it starts in verse 11. And Jesus is telling this parable um, um, uh, because he was coming near to Jerusalem. He was coming near to the cross. And because the, the disciples and those around him begin to suppose that the kingdom of God, the very thing that we're invited into, was going to appear immediately. And so Jesus says this, like, that's not how it works, right? Like, the, the fullness of the thing that you're after, this, this thing, this God kingdom, it comes, out, it comes through over time. It doesn't happen right away. And so he's, Jesus said this in verse 12, A nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom in return. Calling ten of his servants, um, he gave them, same word as that Peter uses to describe himself in First Peter, the one who's totally owned by, known by, like whose, whose identity is derived by his owner, his master, um, um, Jesus. He gave them 10 minas, which is three months of, of living wages, essentially, and said to them, engage in business until I come. <laughs> like, engage in business. Just, just live. Do the very things that keep living going. Like, do the work and the functions of the things that you're meant to do. Like, it's not a unique business. It's not, a, it's not something spectacular or imagined. It's just normal business. Just keep going with life. I've given you everything you, you need, three months to secure whatever trade you're in, Whatever industry you're in, whatever vocation is your vocation, I've given you what you need for three months of it, so go put it to work to make sure that what you do will actually function. He says, go about your business. Um, go in business until I come. Engage in business. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we don't want this man to reign over us. There's opposition, right? When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by doing business by living life, by using their gifting, their calling, living out of their identity and purpose. What happened because of that? The first came before him saying, Lord, your mina has made 10 minas more. What does the servant say? Who, who did what? Did, your, did the servant say, look, I've, I've created tenfold. I've prospered and, abound and abounded tenfold. Look at how, how, how lustrous and wealthy my life is, successful my life is. No, no, no. He says, go back to it. He says, the first in verse 16, Lord, your mina has made 10 minas more. What you gave to me multiplied, abounded. It did it. All I did was put it into to practice. All I did was engage it in business. And look what it brought. 
And he said to him, well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over 10 cities. And the second came saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. The same thing. What, what brought about the multiplication, the growth, the abundance? Yes, obviously they put it into play. It was their part, but they recognized as faithful servants that what all they did was use the very thing that they'd been given, put it into practice, and this is what it produced. More than they could imagine. More abundantly than they could ever imagine. Obviously, you know, there's another servant who decided that he wasn't going to take what he was being given and use it, but to bury it and put it under a handkerchief. I think wrap it up in a handkerchief is in Luke's gospel, right? It's to stuff it away. Out of anxiousness, out of worry, out of, heck, just a desire to, to not rock the boat. <laughs> he just hides it. He doesn't take advantage of it. He doesn't do his due diligence to supplement his faith. And what does he get to experience? He experiences not the graciousness and generosity of the father who gave him, the master who gave him the mina in the first place, right? A gift that he was given. Nor does he get to experience the abundance of the thing that was given to him. But instead he experiences the anguish and the rejection of one who was so blind and nearsighted that he forgot that everything he had was a gift already. So going back to Peter, he says in verse 10, so brothers and sisters, sisters and brothers, we've been given everything we need to go about our business, to do good, to make flourish, to make beautiful. So be all the more diligent to confirm the reliability of your calling and election. That is, in literal terms, the certainty of your invitation extended into light, not out of obligation. That's what, that is what um, calling and election is. Calling, it's an invitation to make certain the invitation that you heard and received that was extended not out of obligation, not because you did something to obligate God to respond, to choose you, to, to invite you, not because you have been able to do something to obligate God, to, to abound his grace upon you, but simply because he delighted to do so. Make this invitation. Sure, make this invitation your firm foundation. For if you practice these qualities, if you make do with what is at your disposal, you will never stumble into misery. That's what fall means in the Greek, stumble into misery. You will never stumble into misery of your faith. Why? Verse 11, because this is the way things are settled. This is how God has formed the world and is reforming the world. That's the surety in which you're standing and walking out our faith in. Because it is settled. Because it is settled. Not because it's something you have to figure out. Not just because it's something you have to piece together. Not if it's something you have to worry about. Because it is settled that this is who God is in his generosity. This is who God is in his compassion. This is what God gives you and longs for you. Because it is settled, fixed in place, there will be supplemented. You're, uh, you're, you're, if you're in the ESV text, it says um, uh, in verse 11 um, that for in this way there will be richly provided for you. There will be richly provided for you. The, the, the actual, the, the, the term richly provided for you is the same term as supplement in verse 5. 
The same thing that we're called to do, to put into action, to bring into vividness, to strive to bring into vividness this thing God's given, it says that God does for us. That God does everything necessary to bring into the vividness and depth the full experience of his eternal kingdom, his unique in quality and breadth of time kingdom, that God does that for us through Jesus, our Savior. So, where's your sight limited? What present desires are filling your vision, our vision? What rivals, what envies, what anxieties, what ambitions? are keeping you from seeing that you've already been cleansed. How amazing of a statement is that, right? You've already been cleansed. You've already been immersed in the Father, Son, Holy Spirit relationship. You've already been spoken. Your identity's already been spoken to you. Before you were even born, as Psalm 139 would say, he knew you informed you before you existed in, in your days were even numbered. He knew them. He called you into something, into life. What's keeping us from seeing that? From seeing that we've been made new and given all we need for a full and whole life. And thus, committing our way to the Lord. Supplementing our faith. Striving hard after the very qualities and things, of qualities of life that ensure that we get to experience the fullness of what we've been given in Jesus. Why don't we sit in that for a minute? Just ask some of those questions. I know this may be strange for some of you, but, um, but let's just do this. Do me a favor. Just close your eyes. I want you to take some breaths with me, some deep breaths with me. And as we breathe in, I want you to say this. As we breathe in, all I need as we breathe out is given to me. Breathe in, all I need, breathe out, is given to me. A couple more times. All I need Breathe out is given to me. Breathe in, all I need. Breathe out is given to me. Just for a few minutes, in quiet, ask Jesus, why am I so nearsighted right now? What's filling my vision? What rivals, what envies, what anxieties, what ambitions? When your mind wanders, just breathe in again. All I need, breathe out, is given to me. We'll just take a couple minutes of quiet, and then we'll conclude our time together.
Father, we may be one to, because we received everything, everything we need for life and godliness, to go about our business, to do good. May we be all the more diligent to confirm the reliability, the assuredness of your calling and election, the certainty of your invitation extended in the light, not obligation by Jesus. And may we be ones who, supplementing our faith, find that you have supplemented, you have richly provided for us the full experience of everything that we're after, the unique quality and breadth that is the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Sad the Lord, may we know nothing beside. 
trust Thee evermore. Every moment on Thee call for new life, new will, new power. Let us trust Thee, Lord, for all. May we know nothing. May we know nothing. May we know nothing beside Jesus. May we know nothing beside the Lord. May we know nothing beside Jesus crucified. May we beside Jesus. May we know nothing beside the Lord. May we know nothing beside Jesus crucified. If you would, you can grab your communion elements. They're in the chairs in front of you. On the night before his ultimate sacrifice, before he was crucified, Jesus told his apprentices and friends that every time we find ourselves together to break the bread, to remember that his body was broken because of our contribution to the corruption of desire that brings about the corruption of the world. And then to drink the juice, his blood poured out for us as a sign of the new covenant that his life would be given for our lives and that we would take possession of life through him. And then in John's gospel, Jesus does one more thing. In the story that John tells, Jesus does this remembrance thing, and then he takes the cloth and gets on the floor, and he washes his disciples' feet. Peter, whose letter we just read, it was there, right? And if you know and you remember the story, um, Peter, in all of Peter's ways, um, when Jesus is going about this, says, Lord, Lord, shouldn't we be the ones washing your feet? Shouldn't we be the ones who, um, who are, are serving you as your apprentices and servants? Peter was uncomfortable with his master doing something so lowly. And again, like most of us probably tried to reverse the roles. And then Jesus replied to Peter's attempt to reverse things this way. He said in John 13, Jesus answered Peter saying, what am I doing you do not understand now but afterwards you will understand after my body's been broken my blood's been poured out you'll know peter said to him you shall never wash my feet all right jesus you'll never need to do this for me you never need to to get this low for me but jesus answered him if i don't not wash you you have no share with me you have no participation in the divine nature Simon Peter said to him, then Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head, right? Like, we love that. Like, if that's what it is, then do it, Jesus. Do it fully. Like, pour it all over me. But then Jesus said this, the one who has bathed does not need to wash, except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean. Your sins have been forgiven. All you need is a little bit of washing. May we receive this sign and symbol of Jesus' love for us as ones who are both cleansed already by the work of Jesus, his body broken, his bloodshed for us, but who at times need our feet still washed. In Jesus' name.
tried in vain a thousand ways my fears to quell my hopes to raise but what i need your word has said is
we do want to know you um, and to know you more and I just ask Lord that you would chase after us this week um, and just draw our hearts towards you in the ways that they are prone to wander um, that you would convict us of the places where we are nearsighted and you just want us to have a bigger vision of who you are and what you're doing in our life and in the world around us. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Rebecca. I invite you to read with me the yellow text on your screen. This comes from the very end of Second Peter. He writes, But you, friends, are well warned. Be on guard lest you lose your footing and get swept off your feet by these lawless and loose-talking teachers Grow in the grace and understanding of our Master and Savior, Jesus Christ. Glory to the Master, now Yes, and amen. Amen. You're dismissed. Love you guys. We'll see you next Sunday, if not sooner.